0: This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. Now what we've seen throughout the story is God's providential invisible hand at work in the lives of Of everyday ordinary people, right? The heart of the story so far has been what? It's been God's merciful provision to this family at every turn. His faithful love, his chesed, that word, the loving kindness, his faithful love towards his covenant people and caring for them, which he even extended through a foreigner, through Ruth the Moabite. And so Ruth, the book of Ruth that is, teaches us that God's ways, uh, though they may rarely be in a straight line, you know, rarely is God's plans worked out in a straightforward way and there there are unexpected curves and disappointments and and setbacks and, and maybe even losses and challenges. These perplexing turn of events are never designed to be dead ends for the people of God. In other words, the book of Ruth shows us what the New Testament clearly teaches us in doctrine. That God in His gracious providence is always working all things together for the good of His people. We simply don't live long enough to see it all. (laughs) Ruth would have never known that her son would then lead to David. We can't see high enough and clear enough to understand how all these things happening in our lives are really working according to God's plan and for greater good. And so we've learned that in the book of Ruth. But the book of Ruth, we've said uh, several times, is not just some standalone story, right? It's a story within the larger story, the story of God's promise to redeem not just two widows, but to redeem a people from all the nations, not just Israel. And so far from being some independent standalone story that teaches us profound things about God or or about how to live life in the providence of God the book of Ruth is one piece in the grand puzzle of the grand message the grand narrative of the Bible God's plan of redemption and we see that on two levels here the genealogy that I just read, that list of li- names, the lineage there, at the end connects backwards to the birth of Paris, the son of Judah, at the end of the book of Genesis. And then it reaches forward to the birth of David, the king they did not have yet in the time of Judges, the king they needed. A man, despite all his faults, who was a man whose heart was after God. And so Ruth functions as a bridge in the narrative uh, beginning with the promised seed in Genesis 3 and then all the way through the promise of Abraham and so forth as we lead to the birth of of, uh, David. And so in bringing redemption to these two bereft widows, what we learn from the last chapter here at the end is that God had bigger plans in mind. But we as New Testament, New Covenant believers living on this side of the Messianic event, the time of Christ, we understand because we, there's more to it and his plans were bigger than David. Why? Because when we open the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew begins with a genealogy that reaches back to David and all the way down to whom? The greater David. The greater king that we need which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, amazingly, in in, in extending his compassion to these two bereft widows, in redeeming these two bereft widows, God indeed had greater plans in mind that reached through David all the way down to the greater David. And the book of Ruth speaks to us on another level as well, meaning through another means as part of the big puzzle. It does so through portraits, through foreshadows. And we mentioned this last week that Boaz is a picture of another Redeemer. Boaz is a picture of Christ. Boaz is what we call a type, a Christological type, and a type A type of Christ is an Old Testament person, or an Old Testament place, or an Old Testament institution uh, that corresponds to Christ and escalates as it reaches Christ. So, for example, you take the sacrifices of animals... It corresponds to the sacrifice of Christ. And there's escalation in that we're moving from the blood of an animal that doesn't really redeem to the blood of the Son of God that truly redeems. And so as we look at this story this morning, this last chapter, and bring this to a conclusion, and we see the redemption that Boaz wrought for these two bereft widows to preserve the name of Elimelech and and Malon, we want to see also how this is a picture of our redemption, the greater redemption which was wrought by our kinsman-redeemer, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. We read all Scripture in the light of all Scripture. And so we're going to see various things about redemption. And it begins with redemption is initiated by the Redeemer. He initiates the work. Chapter 318 said, wait, wait. You can't take these matters into your own hands, Ruth. The man will not rest until he settles the matter today. And chapter 4 began with the man settling the matter. He says, now Boaz had gone up to the gate. Talking about the main gate of the city. And he sat down there, waiting. The main gate of these ancient cities, uh, these ancient towns, they served as a local law court. Uh, It was the place, the meeting place, for cases to be heard and contracts to be made and disputes to be settled. It's the place where news was going to be shared. And so Boaz went there, and it says that he sat down there and waited. And then the author says, what? Behold. (laughs) Behold, just like in chapter 2. Behold, Ruth happened to land on Boaz's piece of land. And here he says, Behold, the other Redeemer just happened to be passing by. What is the author asking us to do again is to see behind the scenes and see that here it is again. This is a divine appointment. This is the hand of God in bringing him past them. He placed himself in the place, and God brought the man to him. In chapter 3, he invoked the name of the Lord when he said, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. And then what did he do? He waited. And God brought him past his, past his path. And then he says to him this interesting phrase. He says, turn aside, friend, and sit down here. I say it's interesting because friend doesn't do justice here. Uh, it hides it hides a Hebrew rhyming phrase. Like an English rhyming phrase would be something like hocus pocus. Okay? And here, the Hebrew phrase is turn aside, peloni, almoni. And the closest sort of English translation of the meaning of that is something like Mr. So-and-so. Or someone said, what's his name? Or even another author, author uh, offered uh, Joe Schmo But there's too many Joes here So I won't you know. oh, Yeah. Oh <laughs> So and so He says Mr. So and so And people ask the question Why would he do that? Why would the author uh, write that? Maybe he lost the name You know the author wasn't writing When this took place No no There's this literary artistry Going on here beloved Think about this In a chapter full of what? Names In a chapter full of names in a story about what? The importance of perpetuating a name. The man who does not care for others. The man who's consumed with his own inheritance, his own name. The man that has no heart of mercy, he becomes Mr. No Name. (laughs) And so we ought to take that to heart. Such is the end of greed. Did not Jesus teach us? You cannot serve both God and mammon. And if he had a heart for God, if he had the heart of God towards the outsiders like Boaz and the heart of mercy that God had shown, I'm sure, to him and throughout his life, he probably wouldn't have ended up being Mr. So-and-so. But because he has no heart, no mercy, he's concerned only with himself and his own inheritance, his own name, not the name of some other family, he becomes the nameless one and so we need to pick up on that and see that but the important thing i want you to see in this first section then is where does the process of redemption begin it begins in the big heart the merciful heart of boaz as the lord lives i will redeem you he goes to the city just like she said he will settle it today and he seeks the lord's will he waits upon the lord And there he initiates this whole process there. He puts the plan into motion. Remember, he is not obligated to do this. There's a closer redeemer. And it reminds us that our redemption is born out of the the merciful heart of God's free grace. (laughs) God is not obligated to give us a redeemer. But out of the heart of his full grace, he so loved the world that he sent his son into the world, to pay for our penalty, to redeem us. Galatians chapter 4 says in verse 4, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem. It begins with Him. He gave His Son to redeem, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons colossians chapter 1 verse 13 14 says that he that is god the father delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption you see he he paid the ransom price delivered us from the kingdom of darkness In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And lastly, 1 Corinthians 1.30, Paul says, Because of Him, because of God, because of the Father, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification, and here it is, redemption. Redemption is initiated by the Redeemer. Ruth had no claim on this. She needed mercy. And He initiates it, just like our Lord initiates it. Now secondly, I want you to see that redemption is accomplished by a righteous Redeemer. He accomplishes it in a righteous way. He does things in accordance with the law and beyond that, and makes sure things are done with witnesses present. Redemption is accomplished according to God's Word. It says there that he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. Notice for the other redeemer, he sat and waited, but having found him, he went out actively and he found 10 men. And from what we understand, this was the tradition at the time. It's not law per se, but that the elders of the city, 10 in particular, would become lawful witnesses of everything that was about to happen. And so this is, this is showing us, and the author is stressing, uh, the care that Boaz took to make sure that a legal quorum was present, that things were done according to the word of God and beyond that according to their custom. The law of God, in other words, the law of God cannot be bypassed for our redemption. It has to be fulfilled. The claims of God's law must be fulfilled first. And so before Boaz becomes Ruth's Goel, her kinsman, redeemer, he fulfills all righteousness. And then, when it's done, he redeems. And it reminds us as well, again, of the kinsman's redeemer given to us, Jesus, who was we just read, was born under the law and who was the sinless keeper of the law who said, I did not come to abolish the law and the commandments, I came to fulfill them. Who who surrendered himself to the baptism of repentance under John the Baptist, strictly so what? So that all righteousness would be fulfilled before the work of redemption. Now, in verse 4, Boaz makes the proposal, again, in a lawful way. He doesn't let his emotions carry, himself, uh, carry him off when, when, when Ruth threw herself at him. He says, no, we're, we're going to do this right. There's another Redeemer, and we're going to go to him first, and we're going to do it in the presence of witnesses. And so he makes this proposal to the other Redeemer, but he only introduces the part about the land. Is he a good salesman? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, He only starts with the element of the land. Perhaps he knew something of this man's heart, right? He says there in verse 3, Naomi, who's come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. And so I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there's no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And we can see this guy's eyes get really big, you know. More land, more land. He says, you bet, I'll redeem it. (laughs) I'll add their land to my own land. Sure, right? Now there's some questions that come up here, and there's just no way to solve them all. A lot of things come in people's minds, like, well, wait a minute, what do you mean Naomi has land to sell? We haven't heard about that. Why is it they were so impoverished? Why is it when they came back from Moab, why weren't they harvesting from her land? But then you read the scripture, and the scripture says, widows can't inherit the land in Israel, and so forth. So, well, then how is it that she has a right to the land? What's happening here? Listen, we don't really know. However, However, in their setting, the law had combined with their customs it ended up that she had the right to transfer the land, you see. But she wanted a redeemer from the family to buy it and keep it in the family and this would also do what for them, give them funds. They were at the end financially. That's clear to us. And so the point is this, that the, the kinsman redeemer that is closer than Boaz is invited to, be, to redeem this land from Naomi because they need the funds. This way, perhaps, it would stay in the family. So with his white eyes, he says, you bet, I'll take it. And that's when Boaz says in verse 5, well, wait a second. I'm glad you're interested in the land. Noble of you. (laughs) But the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, I'm in verse 5, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, some other... Ancient texts say you acquire it from Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. And so now he's bringing in the idea of having to marry her and so forth. And again, we don't understand uh, exactly how this was working, because you remember, well, those of you were here last week, we went to Leviticus and we read uh, regarding the Levirate Law, the, that... The, Strictly speaking, the family member was not under obligation to do it. He had the freedom to say no. And it wasn't necessarily connected to the land. But by whatever means this came about, it had become a package deal. And we can't quite understand how it all works that it was a package deal. But we do get this much from it. And that is that the the Redeemer understood it to be so. Why, because he didn't protest. He didn't say, wait a minute, you can't combine these two. No, he he understood it was a package deal. Once Boaz explained it, his problem was not with the fact that it was a package deal, however that came about in their law and customs. His problem was the fact that it was about more than land and taking care of one old widow now. Now it was a matter of being willing being willing to take on a Moabite woman as his wife and then seeking to father a son through her. And should that take place, then the land he just paid for would belong to the son that he just fathered. And it would be in his name and it would all go to Malon. He paid for all of this and he also has a second family to support and he loses the land. And so he says, "Ah, oh, I just read the fine print. <laughs> wow. And so Boaz is saying in essence to him something like this. Nice of you to want the land really helped this old widow, but do you have a heart like this? You care about the names of our family members? You care about our laws? You care about our tradition? You have compassion for the outsider? You care enough to Sacrifice your inheritance. Potentially. For the sake of of, of these women and the name that was given uh, to them through their husbands. But he had no heart for that. It's all about a financial opportunity. The man who was concerned about losing his inheritance, his name, becomes Mr. No Name. And he says, nope. I I can't redeem it. You mean you won't redeem it. (laughs) You mean you don't care to redeem it. But this is all done in public, in a lawful way. Boaz, the worthy man from Bethlehem, before he redeems, he fulfills the law. And the transaction is completed in a way that seems a little strange, like many things have seemed strange to us, right? The man takes off his sandal, and he hands it to him, and Apparently this custom in ancient Bethlehem had already been lost because by the time the narrator wrote it sometime we think in the late part of of David's life or maybe soon after by then people already forgot about it because he had to explain it. And he said this is the way it was done in ancient Bethlehem when they made a transaction or some land was redeemed uh, someone took off their sandal and gave it to the other person and. And Old Testament scholars, uh, the best guess, I think, is saying, we think it has something to do with this, that when they were given the promised land by God, repeatedly it says things like this, not more than one place. In Joshua 1.3, it says there, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you the promised land. And the best we understand, when they took off their sandal and they were exchanging land or, or the rights to land, they were saying, I no longer have the right to tread upon this land. You have the right to tread upon this land. It's your land now. You have the right to it. Those of us who ever bought a house or bought a new car would say, you know, I, I, maybe I prefer that than signing 300 pages, you know. <laughs> and always wondering, did I sign my life away? Is this for real? Is this legal? It was simple. Here, it's your land. I won't redeem it. And so what happened? Boaz expresses in public his willingness to do so. He says, I have bought it. I redeem it. This was a significant sacrifice, it wouldn't go into his name per se, if he fathered a son with Ruth. He was willing not only to redeem the land, but also to take Ruth, a Moabite woman, an outsider as his wife, in the hope of fathering a son with her. And people who had gathered at this point, along with the elders, all of them became witnesses to the legality of both the redemption of the land and the marriage of Boaz to Ruth. Now we ask ourselves, why, why are these details given to us regarding the technicalities of the redemption of the land and the marriage of Ruth to Boaz? And some of them are even foggy to us still. Well, they're not given to us that we might simply know something about the customs in ancient Bethlehem. That is not the author's point. No, no, the narrator's point in providing these details are to demonstrate to us the righteous character of the kinsman-redeemer who ensures that all righteousness is fulfilled before he redeems. Redemption is accomplished by a righteous, worthy man from Bethlehem who fulfills the law before he redeems and does all things in the redemption according to the law and beyond, because he goes beyond what the law had written. That's what he's telling. us. And he's also showing us, thirdly, he's showing us that redemption is accomplished at great personal cost. A personal cost the other redeemer, Mr. No Name, Mr. So-and-so, was not willing to pay. All of that we just read underscores the cost of acting as a kinsman redeemer in this setting. And what to do, it magnifies the heart of this worthy man from Bethlehem. It magnifies the breath of his mercy and compassion and kindness. He is acting in God's chesed, God's loving, faithful kindness. He puts it on display. He had no obligation to do this. And it would come at great personal cost to him. And so in this, Boaz helps us see something of the depth of the love and the mercy of God in his son, the Lord Jesus. You know, Boaz is the only human kinsman redeemer that is featured in the Old Testament. And I say human because God is repeatedly referred to as the Goel of Israel, the redeemer of Israel. Psalm 19, last week we read, the Lord, my God, my rock and my redeemer. Job says, I know my redeemer lives. But Boaz, in the Old Testament, is featured as the, the great sort of standard, the great human kinsman redeemer. And some scholars point out that, that the word goel, what we translate kinsman redeemer, appears 22 times in the book of Ruth the exact number of times it appears in the book of Leviticus which deals with explaining what a kinsman redeemer is now again in a book that shows us there's no such thing as coincidence there's no such thing as coincidence but how much we make of it we don't know but, but it's just a good point I think to think about it. and so Boaz is presented to us as the ideal kinsman, redeemer, a la Leviticus. But We know that what he does is that he foreshadows, right? As a type of Christ, he foreshadows Christ to us, he communicates Christ to us. Ruth would not have understood that. Naomi would not have understood that, you see. But reading Scripture in the light of all Scripture, on this side of the Messiah, we understand that Boaz here is being presented by the divine author as a a type, a portrait, a foreshadow of our Lord, who redeemed us at a great personal cost, who was willing, who said, I will redeem it. (laughs) He said, I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me. He was not coerced. The Lord Jesus, the worthy man from the tribe of Judah, born in Bethlehem, who came to redeem sinners from the bondage and penalty of sin at great personal cost to himself. The man from Bethlehem who had no obligation to redeem you and me from the penalty and consequences of our sin, but he acted out of the love and mercy of God in his heart and he came to to the spiritually destitute, like you and me, true outsiders, separated from the covenants of God. right? And he came and he paid the price after he fulfilled the law, living some 33 years on this earth. And he set his face to, f- to settle the matter. And when he settled the matter, he said, it is finished. <laughs> the, pi- the price has been paid. Blessed be God. And I would be remiss if I didn't just make a slight point, and that is that Boaz paid a great price for a definite bride, Ruth. And so the greater Boaz, our kinsman-redeemer, paid that great definite price for a definite people, a definite bride. The book of Acts says, Paul said to the elders there that They were to be careful to take care of the church of God, which he purchased with his blood. The price was paid for what? The church of God. The book of Revelations, chapter 5, says that the Lamb is worshipped in heaven. Why? Because with his blood he purchased for God a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Costly, definite price, his own life for a definite bride and that is his church, those whom the Father had given to him, as Jesus says in the Gospel of John. What a, what a picture it is, huh? So many years, so many centuries ahead of the time of Christ. I picture sometimes when I read something like this, I imagine Paul in the desert when he was retooling his whole theology, Remember? <laughs> after he realized Jesus was the Messiah and all this, was talking about that and that, I picture him just walking around going, oh my gosh. <laughs> I thought the book of Boaz was always about how to do marriage right. You know? Three steps to a successful marriage. And he says, it's about Christ, the Redeemer. Ultimately, Romans 3.24 says that we are justified by His grace, God's grace as a gift through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, our kinsman redeemer. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. He is the redeemer who paid that great price. And lastly, I want you to see that redemption results in the reversal of fortune, and here, through a multi-ethnic union. To some degree, this is a shock to ancient Israelites, to those who weren't reading their Bibles carefully, to those who had forgot that God said to Abraham that he would bring a blessing through his seed to all the peoples. To those who became arrogant because they had Jewish blood running through their veins. And here we see that the the redemption resulted in the reversal of fortune through a multi-ethnic union. So now let's finally hear the wedding bells. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception. And she bore a son. Remember, ten years in Moab she did not bear a son. And then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. In giving Ruth a son, you see, she's also given Naomi a grandson. And the, 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 and the property stays in the family name and he will watch after her in her old age. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. of David, this is the great reversal that takes place in the life of these two bereft widows which is a picture of the great reversal that takes place in our redemption we go from bondage to freedom from slavery to sin and its consequences to a future and a hope and a restorer of life when we are redeemed through Christ let's look at their reversal first of all Ruth was without protection And now she has a protector. Ruth was without provision, but now she has a provider. She was without a people, even though she had spiritually said that she bound herself to the God of Israel. Your people will be my people, your God will be my God. She was not yet fully integrated into the people of God, but now she is among the people of God. She belongs to the people of God, and in fact, a Moabite, a Moabite woman, is connected to Rachel and Leah, who built up the house of Israel. May you be like them. Because they had their wombs open, and now God has opened your womb. Wow. That's a reversal of fortunes. You know, in some ways, Ruth here becomes a picture of the true Israelite, as Paul sees it. Belonging to God, not by blood, but by the circumcision of the heart. By the grace of God, which was always intended to reach all the peoples of the world. And so God throughout time would insert into the lineage of the the children of Abraham, outsiders, 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 outsiders. And open a womb like that, like he had for Sarah. Sarah. And other women in the great line of the promises of God through the seed. And then there's Naomi. He came back saying, I am empty. Call me bitterness. Because God has, has, has made me empty. And now the great reversal of fortunes for her as well, right? She was without a husband, without a son, without a hope, without future. And now she's been given a grandson who will maintain the family line. She too has been given a redeemer. And given a redeemer, given the gracious mercy of God to sustain her through an outsider, a Moabitess, (laughs) who now, now she's, She's evaluated this way: she is worth more to you than seven sons. To the folks in the first hour, I could almost hear an old, uh, an old uh, Jewish woman saying something like that: <laughs> "Worth to you more than seven sons." That's high praise for a Moabite woman. And so her fortunes have been, have been reversed as well because of the God's redemption and they've gone they've gone from they've gone from desperation to deliverance through the gracious actions of the redeemer who was sent to them by the lord and all this came about how how it all came about through this union this marriage between boaz and ruth a union between a jewish kinsman redeemer and a Gentile bride. And through this union, redemption is brought to these two bereft widows, which will lead to blessing that will reach all the way down to David, and eventually read, reach all the way to the greater David. And so through a multi-ethnic bride, united to a Jewish... Uh, a Jewish... Um, kinsman-redeemer, this union brings the reversal of fortunes for both Naomi and for Ruth. In the New Testament, Paul says that the blood of Christ, in Ephesians chapter 2, the blood of Christ has brought those who were far off. People like Ruth, people like most of you and me, those who were far out, those who were Gentiles, those who were outside the covenant promises, he's brought those who were far off, near by his blood, and he has made us what? One, one in union. Anyone who repents of sin, whatever your blood lineage is, anyone who repents of sin and believes in Jesus, the Son of God, as the Lord and Savior, becomes part of the great bride of the kinsman, Redeemer. You see, to believe is to entrust, to entrust oneself, and it is likened in Scripture to what? A marriage. Bride of Christ, wed to Christ. There are vows that are are made, solemn vows made. And so to be, leave in Christ is to be wed to Him. In Ephesians, I read earlier, chapter 1, verse 7, it says, In Him... We have redemption through His blood. In Him, the person. In Him, we need to be wed to Him. And it's important time to time to just stress something here and say it. That strictly speaking, the gospel is not simply the free offer of salvation. It is the free offer of a person in whom salvation is found. And believing the gospel is not... Is not Strictly speaking a matter of just sort of cogently agreeing with a bunch of doctrinal statements or a system of theology It is what? It is being wed to a person saying yes to a person Receiving Him. In Him we have redemption. He accomplished the redemption. We need Him And we need to say I do to Him and receive Him, the Gospel of John says, as many as re- received Him, even those who believe in His name, to them He gave the right to be called the children of God. You see, There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son. In Him, we have redemption. And so the only question is this, have you received Him? Do you believe in Him? Do you see him for who he is, my friends, Or are you still an outsider? Ruth had no claim on redemption. He needed mercy. Neither do you or me. No one has a claim on redemption. It is the gracious gift of God who so loved the world, he gave us that redeemer. Amen? There's so much more to say About this chapter, every week when I was talking to Sherry, I'd say, I just don't know what to cut out. (laughs) But I'll leave it here. I will just repeat a few things that God is showing us in this book. What is God showing us in the book of Ruth? He's showing us that even in the darkest spiritual times, like the times of Judges, He is at work. Silently, quietly, and he is at work in the lives of individuals, families, persons, and even in the most seemingly insignificant little things that happen, like walking into a field, <laughs> sitting at the main gate. You know. What's that remind us? That teaches us that everything you do, as a Christian, everything you do, everything. You choose, every decision you make, every place you find yourself, every response you have towards whatever has suddenly come into your life, all of that is connected to something much bigger. And that is what God is doing in His plan of redemption, which at this time is not preparing for the Redeemer, is what? Bringing the, the news of redemption to all the peoples. We don't always think that way. We don't always see it, but we need to. If you're in Christ, beloved, there's no coincidence. Not at all. None of us just so happen to be anywhere. <laughs> we are where God wants us. Are you aware of that? Are your eyes open? Secondly, the book of Ruth teaches us that God is showing us that though his purposes for us are are ne- seldom in a straight line, really. And there's always all these curves and setbacks and unexpected challenges and maybe even loss. Even so, his invisible hand is faithfully extending mercies to you and me every day, if we only had the eyes to see it. lamentation says, great is your faithfulness, right? Your mercies are new every morning. And it took a long time for Naomi to see it. Her heart was filled with bitterness. When God placed Ruth right next to her, who eventually she saw was worth more to her than seven sons, the woman who lost two sons. So we wait upon God. Thirdly, he's showing us that through his son, through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, The great kinsman redeemer, he redeems sinners. He redeems outsiders who have no claim to belong. And we should, first of all, we should have a heart for the same. lest we end up being Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. No-Name. Because we have no heart for those who are distraught, bereft, outside, God has a heart for them. He cares about widows. He cares about orphans. He cares about the poor. And He's created a people, a family, to extend that mercy. He's showing us also that through His Son, the Lord Jesus, the great Kinsman Redeemer, He redeems us and He gives us a name, a lasting name, for the land that God has promised us is not some piece of dirt in Palestine, but the new heavens and the new earth. And ultimately he's given us a name which we will take into the new creation, you see. I was thinking of Isaiah 49, 16 when I thought of this. It was to the ancient people of God in the Old Testament. God said through the prophet Isaiah, and I think it could equally apply to us, He said to them, Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. He's talking about their name. It was a custom in the ancient world that at times a slave would bear the brand mark of his master on his hand. And here, God demonstrates his amazing condescension uh, in that he's saying that he's engraving our name, the servants, on his hand. And the late Jay Packer, reflecting on this, said, If I'm graven on the palms of his hands, I must never be out of his mind. And I think that's what the Lord's conveying to us. Beloved, in the Redeemer, your fortunes have been reversed. Amen. Death has come to life. Poverty has become riches. No hope has become the hope of the resurrection and the future. And disappearing into the annals of history as somebody with no name has become what? Having the name, your name, written on his heart and on the palm of his hand. You believe the beautiful words of the hymn before the throne of God above. I have a strong and perfect plea, a great High Priest or a great Redeemer whose name is Love, who ever lives and pleads for me. What's the next line? My name is graven on His hands. My name is written on His heart, and I know that while in heaven He stands, no tongue can bid me thence be part. Ruth entered the family of God and her name exists in Scripture for eternity. Given a name because of the mercy of God and so it is in Christ that we have a name. Let's pray.